You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight we're clashing with a very important event in the culinary world and that's the announcement of the Munster winners of the 2017 Food Oscars. The Restaurant Association of Ireland is hosting the regional announcements in the Strand Hotel in Limerick at this very moment. So best of luck to everyone who's been nominated and we look forward to finding out the details of all the winners in due course. Tonight's programme is covering a number of different topics, including food photography with Siobhan Murphy. And Siobhan is a lecturer in multimedia at IT Tralee in County Kerry. And when I was with Siobhan in the Kingdom last week, I also got a chance to talk to TJ O'Connor about a very special event taking place in the college on Wednesday, the 26th of April. So we'll hear some details about that towards the end of the show. And in between, we're going to be putting a call into Caroline Gray via Skype. And Caroline is the editor of Easy Food magazine, so we'll be chatting about what's in the latest issue. If you'd like to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste, I'd be delighted to hear from you. If you're a chef, a home cook, a food producer, or just you've something to share in the culinary world or even the beverage world, I'm always interested in hearing your story. So please do drop me a line to s.noonan at live.ie or alternatively, I'm on Twitter with my nickname, The Queen of Organisation, and you'll find me there as at Queen of Org. So as I said there, I was in Tralee recently and I came across Siobhan Murphy, who is a multimedia lecturer at IT Tralee. And one of the modules that she teaches is food photography. So let's have a listen to our chat. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Siobhan, thanks for having me in your studio here in Tralee IT. It's a, a beautiful space that you have and not a computer to be seen. Well, no, not here in the the visual studio. So um, here we do more of the practical stuff and setting up props and lighting and and, um, doing more of the actual practical photography here. We do have computer labs as well where we'd we'd spend some time in doing the digital editing side of things. But we, we like to keep a mix between, you know, we don't always need the computer. When students come in here, then their main piece of kit is their camera, because a lot of what you do in here is food styling related. Mm-hmm. So we we provide cameras to the students, but a lot of students have their own cameras as well. They would do, you know, just for their personal sort of cameras. So if, if students do, we, we allow them to, to use those um, so they can get familiar and maybe get the most out of a camera they might have been using for years, but didn't really know what all the the knobs and buttons were about. Um, so yeah, we every student would uh, get a camera. If we've got a very large class, we might uh, separate them into to groups. So they might share a camera between two or three students, and they kind of organise amongst themselves how they divvy it out between them. And um, yeah, we we start the the module on the premise that nobody knows anything about photography. So we we start from scratch, and uh, they they learn the technical aspects about the camera and how to use it and how to take a photograph. And then I think more importantly, the the creative side of it and the visual storytelling side of it. Um, and I think it's becoming increasingly more important in the, the food industry and the chefing industry that, um, you know, people, chefs, are, are kind of carving out online spaces for themselves and branding themselves and um, being able to present yourself and your work in the best possible way uh, can only be an advantage no matter where you take your skills whether it's working for someone else or working for yourself or maybe you know going down the the line of product development and some kind of culinary business or you know enterprise uh i think that yeah they are transferable skills very useful yeah and you the students now that you teach the food photography course to or the module to they are culinary arts students Culinary arts students, so the, the food photography uh, module is on the culinary arts level seven, so it's a three-year course, and uh, it's in the third year, and um, then the, we have a culinary arts level eight as well, which is a four-year course, so you can add on an extra year, 
and uh, in that we go on to do food blogging and e-portfolio so it builds on the skills you've learned in food photography and social media and pushes it forward a little bit more. So there's huge benefits in this multimedia age that we live in to do in a module like food photography and you also do some food blogging as well because it, it all complements what is going on in the kitchen and you're saying there about the e-portfolio so if you're in Ireland but you wanted to apply for a job in Australia where you can do the interview by Skype and you can probably demonstrate some of your skills via Skype but if you have a portfolio of beautiful photographs of some of your culinary creations like that's that's going to be a huge way to sell yourself. Exactly and I think um, in this day and age it's it's you know it's really important because it is a global labor market you know like you said you could be in ireland and applying for a job in australia there's also australians applying for jobs in ireland so it's a way of being able to differentiate yourself and set yourself apart from the crowd to present your work in the best possible way um and also just you know not just in terms of self-promotion but you know um just carve out a little online space for yourself your own personal ethos whether it's healthy eating or or, you know locally sourced ingredients or sustainability or whatever your personal ethos is that you can explore it further and and um we we emphasize visual storytelling a lot and i think that's something that chefs um, innately are aware of. You know, every time they they plate a dish, they're they're telling a story. You know, you wouldn't have a a lovely light bright citrus salad on a a winter's day, or you know, you you'd have the hearty stew or whatever. And that's a form of storytelling. You know, and it's telling a story of comfort and you know unctuous flavors and and all that good stuff. So it's just developing those skills that they already have. Um, and they do innately when they're you know plating food or deciding how to plate a dish or, or even how to plan a menu you know they're telling a story from the first course to the last and how to transfer those skills and just give them a little bit of technical know-how with the, the mechanics of the camera and you know using photoshop and digital editing to make their work sing really and everything you're saying there really describes the importance of being creative and the creativity element of it. And that reminds me of talking to your past student, Louise Brosnan, mm. who is in EDOS in Dingle now. And when she was at school, like she really loved cooking and she loved art. And the two of them have really come together for her in her career that whenever she is plating up the, the, the plate of food and putting all the ingredients and components on the plate... Like the art is very obvious there because it looks so beautiful even before you start to taste it and enjoy the flavors that are there. Yeah, I think the the you know the old saying you eat with your eyes. Um, that's a saying for a reason, and I think um, you know cooks are aware of that. You know they they play to that. They you know they understand that to make you know the full appetizing experience of you know enjoying a meal, they can't just you know slop the food on a plate you know that it adds to the whole experience and so they're 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 aware that um things like presentation and you know the story you're telling visually makes you know makes all the difference can make all the difference uh but they're maybe not consciously aware that they're doing these could be skills that they just have innately or have developed over time in the kitchen and don't see you know their creativity how it can go beyond the kitchen and uh, once you have that spark in you at all uh, they're imminently transferable skills Um, and you could look at you know sort of either promoting yourself or or, um, you know putting yourself out there in terms of a, a food blog or whatever that's you know, the same skills required to plate a dish. You know, you're, you're essentially plating yourself and making your skills, um, you know, the best that they can be or appear to be the best. So the opportunities and the doors that it can open from from something as simple as as food photography or blogging is, are really quite endless. I believe so. I think there's real value there, especially in this day and age. I mean, we all know. I mean, being online, it's ubiquitous. Whether you're you've got a, a stall selling sandwiches, or you know you're you're running a, a top class restaurant, or whether 
you know, you're, you're running a cookery class in the local village hall. You know, if you're if you're not online, essentially you don't exist anymore. But it's how you put yourself online and being able to do that to, to the best of your ability and making the most of what you have. And you don't need, you know, the, the big fancy equipment or, you know, to be hiring the very expensive food stylists that charge by the hours. You know, the, the Jamie Olivers can, can do that, but you can achieve, you know, a lot of the, the same results yourself with a bit of consideration and just a tiny bit of know-how. Well, out and about these days, everybody has an iPhone or a similar type phone with a camera built into it and they're snapping away every time they go in somewhere and they have a dish that they really think, oh, wow, this looks great. Sometimes the quality of those photographs really leave a lot to be desired. What is your advice to any to somebody that is is there with the camera ready to take the shot? How can they make it the best shot possible? The number one thing, the number one tip would be to not use your flash. Not um, use the flash, even if not. you're indoor, don't even use the flash. Even if you're indoors, and I know, you know, sometimes you're in a restaurant and it's got lovely moody lighting and, you know, it's all very dark and cosy. But uh, what you're doing when you use a flash is you're just flooding something with light. It's just, you know, throwing light at it. So it's getting rid of all those shadows and, you know, textures and it's flattening everything. I mean, we've all kind of experienced I suppose ourselves getting all done up and going out for a night out and, and feeling we're looking lovely and then somebody takes out the camera phone and we look at the shots and go oh my lord what what is that and it's not that we all have big giant potato heads it's that the flash has gotten rid of all the form in our face so we're no longer 3d looking so take photographs in natural light where at all possible um and most camera phones now, uh, especially the, the more expensive ones, are very sophisticated. And there's very little difference between, you know, what you can achieve with one of the, the higher end camera phones and, you know, an actual entry level prosumer camera. Um, so there's probably settings you can adjust there to ask it to be more sens- sensitive to light. Um, so you don't need the flash. It will suck up all the available light and, and still give you a recognisable photograph that will look a million times better than if you flood it all with and your fellow diners will thank you as well I think that there's not these floodlights going off all over the place when they're trying to enjoy their dinner. Tell me what's your view of Instagram for like the first person that ever told me about Instagram a number of years ago said it's brilliant because it makes all your photographs look fabulous. Are you an Instagram fan? I am an Instagram fan. I think um, I think it's something that is you know it's taken people's imagination and it's great in that it's made photographers out of all of us you know and uh you know with very little effort we can see these beautiful results for the most part um i would say there is i mean instagram it's had a very uh kind of strange effect on restaurants especially because now um part of the meal is taking the photograph of your food before you you tuck in uh to the point where i i remember i i read a story about a restaurant in i think it was new york someplace and they've been open for about 30 years uh but they noticed that their customer satisfaction was going down and down and down and they were flying in the 80s and the 90s and then all of a sudden it took a nosedive and they they did they hired consultants to try and understand where where had it all gone wrong and you know and they dug out CCTV videotapes of a meal in the 1980s. And what, what it was was people ordered their food. Or they sat down, the waiter came, they ordered their food. And sometime later, the food came, they ate, they left. And, you know, they were delighted with their experience. What they realise now, when they mapped that experience to today, you come in, you sit down... You start talking, the waiter comes over and you're not ready because you haven't looked at the menu. So you send him away again. Then you are ready, but the waiter doesn't come back in time for you. Then you order your food, it comes out and you have to take the photograph of it and share it and all this sort of thing. By the time you dig in, the food isn't what it was. Maybe it's gone cold or whatever. So your experience has gone down, but you don't realise the part that you're playing in that and so you blame the the restaurant for you know serving you tepid food you know very late and using up all your lunch hour 
So we kind of, it's so ubiquitous that we're doing this almost, we're, we're hardly aware of it. Um, but it does have an, it, being in the food business, I think you have to be aware of it and you have to be conscious of the impact of social media and visual communication and photography and blogging on, on, on the whole experience. And that's what most people in the culinary industry are selling is, is an experience. You know, it's a, very few of us are there for the food. We're there for, to, to dine with our friends or with our family. And, um, you know, the people in the industry are very clued up into the fact that they're selling an experience. And the, the media or digital side of things is just part of that experience now. So we have to accommodate it, I think. It must be hugely frustrating for restaurateurs and chefs so whenever they see these absolutely woeful photographs of some of the, the dishes that they've cooked up and presented and they look beautiful in real life. But John Bloggs there has taken a photograph and of course he thinks his photograph is wonderful or he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think it matters. that you know, It's like even when you put up the 10 photographs of the child that are more or less each photograph is the same and the child doesn't look that great in them but in your eyes your child is always gorgeous and why would people not want to see 10 photographs of, of him or her that's it i mean it's very difficult to, if if you're you know if you're a restaurant or something and um you know if your brand depends on a positive image being out there and and you know you can't police other people's bad photographs of your lovely meal um, I would say, you know, obviously one of the reasons for those bad photographs would be a flash bouncing off a white plate, turning the food grey and, you know, just flat and everything. But like you say, it's the, the person taking the photograph sees the beautiful plate of food and they don't see any reason why it won't translate into a beautiful photograph. They're not really seeing the photograph because they still have the image of that beautiful plate of food in their head. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe there's there's a way that, uh, you know, you could cut out the middleman and, and offer online, you know, diners sort of ready-made, perfectly Stock styled images yeah. of great idea. to just share at will. Yeah, that's a very good um, idea. Yeah. But, uh, and that might bypass some of the, the horrible photography. Of course, you could just, you know take a class and learn some of the tips yourself take a class a great <laughs> idea what do you think is next in food photography has it gone as far as it can go or is there always going to be new innovations new technology well i think the the basics of it have always remained the same i mean the, because it's the basics of photography it's writing with light you're 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 manipulating the amount of light that comes into photosensitive medium you know how long it's, it's going to come in and how you know how much light is coming in so i mean the basics have all always remained the same I and mean, even if you look at a, a camera today versus you know one of the first cameras it's still the same mechanics you know um so i think the you, you know the cameras become smaller they'll become more sensitive they'll become you know they'll integrate more with your social media we've some kind of um consumer cameras that can already you know connect through wi-fi to your social media account so you don't have to download them off the sd card and things like that um i think it'll go more that way in terms of convenience and and connecting you to the you know to the digital world um in terms of what you're photographing and and the way you're photographing it i think um we've all seen enough plates of food on a table you know, there, there's very little more we can see on a plate, really. Um, so I think it'll probably go more towards the, the, like I was saying, the, the experience of dining as opposed to just the food on the plate. Um, so we'll probably see a more kind of lifestyle shots of, you know, this is us having a barbecue out in the backyard. So yes, I'm looking at the beautiful homemade burgers, but I can also see you know, the the setting that I'm in and, and the people that are sitting around a table. And I think once... And because it's still very new, this trend of posting photographs of our meals online, you know? Um, but I think once the novelty begins to wear off with the plates of food, that we'll, we'll go back to telling more 
you know, putting it more in context and telling the whole story of this was our experience of dining or this was our experience of picnicking or whatever we're doing. Well, there's still going to be a great element of food envy there, regardless of whether it's just the plate of food or the people enjoying the plate of food in a certain environment. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for for sharing that with me. And I must make sure to turn that flash off now the next time. Thank you. It was great. Thanks, Siobhan. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, you heard me talking to Siobhan Murphy, who is a lecturer in multimedia in IT Tralee. And we were talking all about food photography. So there's hope for me yet. And fingers crossed, turning the flash off on my phone will drastically improve my food photography efforts, which really have been very poor to date. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the show so far, it will be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on my website, SharonNoonan.com, or you can also subscribe free of charge and download it onto iTunes or use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, I'll be finding out about the Food for Thought event that is taking place on Wednesday the 26th of April in IT Tralee. Next up though, we're pressing the Skype button to have a chat with Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine, to find out all about the latest issue. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Caroline, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Sharon. And a very exciting issue this month because the guest editor is none other than the winner of this year's Celebrity MasterChef. That's right. So we were very excited to have another um, feature with the winner of Celebrity MasterChef Ireland. So some might remember from our uh, last issue, we had kind of a preview of the contestants and some of their recipes and behind the scenes shots and little blurbs. Uh, so, yep, so with our March issue, we have the winner of MasterChef, and um, that's none other than Neve Kavanagh. So it was very exciting to get um, her recipes in there, and um, it's pretty much her three-course menu that she made for the finale. Uh, but then we also have recipes and some little tips from um, Simon and Oshin, who are also uh, the two other finalists. So, yeah, it's a really exciting. It's kind of a reverse cover, so if you pick up the issue, you'll see the back page is actually its own special front page feature for the entire MasterChef uh, series here. I take it you were following the series this year, and did you did you mm-hmm. feel that Neve was a winner from the outset? Well, you know, she had this really great quality about her in that, you know, she says herself that, you know, she cooks for her family, and I think she's just a very comfortable cook. So, you know, she always, you know, there were obviously ups and downs, like, with everybody, but I think what was so great about her was that she was kind of just this, solid presence. And she said herself, she realized even for the judges, you know, you know, she didn't want to get herself too psyched up about it. Like she thought of cooking for them the way she would for her own friends and family. And I think what really kind of cinched it for her was that she just constantly made food that tasted really good. And it was stuff that you would want to have. And she obviously kind of progressed throughout the series. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was great to see her win. I mean, I'm so excited. And uh, that being said, I mean, Simon and Oshin made some amazing dishes as well. So I think, you know, they were very lucky with the three finalists. I think they had, it was really exciting. When Oshin McConville came into the show, he said that he never did any cooking up until a few weeks before yeah. it. Is that true? Is that true? Based on what he produced? <laughs> I think, you know, I, I really believe it is. Like, I think he's, you know, it was um, maybe, I, I think maybe because he does have this, you know, athletic streak to him, obviously, that, um, you know, he just is just really, he probably performs really well under pressure. And, um, you know, he was saying that it was his wife that kind of convinced him to sort of give it a go. And, you know, she really believed in him. And I mean, I think he was saying, you know, he knew that it was going to be, like intimidating, but he was actually surprised by kind of how well he got on with it. So, I, you know, I have to, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I have to, you know, believe him that he didn't really cook before. And, you know, maybe it was a bit of beginner's luck, but I think it gave way to just this natural ability he has for cooking. Well, his wife is certainly going to reap the benefits of him being in the television program. That's Definitely. Sure. <laughs> I think so. I think uh, they have probably a new staple weeknight cook in the house now. <laughs> 
Well, of course, I can't start delving into the issue here without looking at my beautiful face smiling out at me as part yes. of the taste team this month. I know. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know you um, You and your team there were very willing and able uh, taste team participants in this issue. So thanks so much to yourself and Rosemary and Ron. I mean, we always look for people to, t- to test the recipes in every issue. And um, it was great to have some expert opinions like yourselves kind of going through this one. And I wanted to ask you about Ron's recipe because it was kind of a cabbage recipe with a twist. Yeah, it was definitely a twist on um, kind of, you know, when we had them, it was one of these dishes that actually surprised us how much we all liked them here. They kind of reminded us of like spring rolls in a way, but it's kind of a nice way to use up some kind of inexpensive and seasonal veg, uh, you know, through some weeknight cooking. Just explain the sauce. What exactly is the sauce made from? So the sauce, so kind of the dipping sauce, it's just a combination of there's like mayonnaise and then sriracha hot sauce. Um, and sriracha is, you know, it's like an Asian hot sauce, but you could really use kind of anything you want. I mean, you could use Tabasco or if you found Frank's hot sauce, just anything with a nice kick to it. But sriracha is great in that it really complements Asian flavors well. And that's what, you know, there are ses- there's sesame oil and soy sauce in this recipe, so it works well. And then the sauce, just a pinch of, uh, or just a t- about a dash of uh, lemon juice. So it's really, it's kind of just nearly like a creamy hot sauce. And, um, you know, it would be really nice on, you know, sandwiches or sausages. It's kind of an all-rounder that if you're going to go make it, you know, may as well try it in bulk and kind of have a bit of it for some other dishes. I think Rosemary lucked out with the the avocado chocolate mousse oh, dish yeah. that she had. Yeah, yeah. That it's it's one of those I know she said that she kind of made that um with her son and his friend, I believe, and you know, it's one of these things that even ourselves we were kind of developing it and we've heard of a lot of recipes that use really ripe avocados um in place of butter because they have such a similar texture. And I think it works so well in this recipe. And it's really, it's a five ingredient chocolate mousse. I mean, there's avocados and the cocoa powder and some sweetener and milk, vanilla, and a pinch of cinnamon. I think it works so well because um, it gives it that really rich texture that you would get from, you know, kind of (coughs) just, you know, kind of traditional ingredients. But because of the cinnamon and because of the cocoa powder, all you're really tasting is this nice, luxurious chocolate mousse. So um, we, uh, all of us in the office were shocked at how much we actually really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I think Rosemary kind of had a nice easy one with that five ingredient dessert. Definitely one worth trying out. Yep, definitely. And how did you get on yourself, Sharon? Uh, it was a lamb dish, wasn't it? It uh, was, yeah. We with had flat, a feature yeah, with um, just kind of using uh, just different ways to use lamb. So I believe they were a little like lamb, kind of minced lamb burgers. Yeah, whenever I did them then, there was a lot of fresh herbs required for the dish, which unfortunately I didn't have. So I had substituted it with dried herbs, which worked perfectly. And I think, yeah, it was meant to be in little sub rolls. And again, I had flatbreads in the house. Oh, yeah. I used those. Yeah. And that's the great thing is like, you know, a lot of these things are always adaptable to what you have in the house. And, you know, something like, uh, you know, this was kind of a way to use up. Um, minced lamb and any kind of, you know, fresh ingredients. I think we were kind of focusing on cucumbers here as well. Um, you know, it's just kind of whatever the ingredients lend themselves to. So flatbreads are great. That It would even be a nice, um, you know, an add-in if you wanted to make kind of like a Mediterranean pasta dish or something. So it's all about what you have in the press. And I did really enjoy them. And then there was a few leftovers, so we were able to have them, or I had them for lunch the next day in the lunchbox, just cold. Oh, that's always, that, that's always the best. I think kind of, um, you know, nice little lamb meatballs like that. If you had even a bit of like salad and hummus, I mean, it, it, it makes a perfect lunch the next day. You don't have to really heat anything up and just ready to go. I find that lamb mince really made a huge appearance on menus, like home cooked menus a number of years ago because people were steering mm. away from that. And I, I remember friends making lasagnas and spaghetti yeah. bolognese and things like that. It is one of those things that's it's much more readily available now. And, um, you know, it has such a different flavor to it. So we find a lot of people are experimenting with recipes that you may have, like that traditionally used, you know, beef mince for and um, kind of just doing twists on it with lamb. And it's actually you know, it, it totally recreates dishes. So if it is something like, you know, if you're used to making, um, like you said, lasagna or a spag ball or, um, you know, spaghetti and meatballs, 
um, or even tacos and kind of Mexican dishes, you know, substituting lamb for some of it, it, it totally recreates the entire flavor profile. And it's actually a really fun thing to try. And we do love lamb in this house, I have to say. It's yeah, it, it is great. I think it's kind of one of those love it or loathe it type of ingredients. Some people can't get enough of it. And then, you know, some people are just saying that, you know, it's just not for them whatsoever, but it's always worth a try. Some other great recipes in the magazine and one that caught my eye was an Asian chicken and mango salad as we're hopefully moving into the warmer weather now. March issue, we're definitely kind of um, stepping a little bit more into lighter and uh, kind of just dishes that are using more and more seasonal ingredients. We always get really excited at this time of year because we can start kind of not just focusing on, you know, a lot of like root vegetables and things that might be kind of in season throughout the colder months, but we can kind of start experimenting with more, uh, you know, really fresh herbs and like that, because kind of like light dishes that kind of bring a little bit of sunshine, even if it's not that nice out every day. And you always have a little bit there for the children, things for the, the young cooks to try. Yep, definitely. Yeah. So in this issue, we actually have um, kind of just a nice little step-by-step recipe for um, some bean and cheese tacos. So it's definitely one that it doesn't require any cooking except for, you know, using the microwave. So if that's something that, you know, your kids are able to do, it's a recipe they can kind of do themselves from start to finish. So uh, yeah, it's just kind of a nice little uh, crunchy taco shells with some uh, refried beans and lettuce and cheese and you know, they can top it any way they want. Tacos are such a fun thing for kids to try because, uh, you know, they can ha- they can be very hands-on with it. So we have that. And then we also actually, because, uh, you know, Mother's Day coming up, uh, we have kind of a nice breakfast in bed feature that, you know, maybe the kids can kind of do themselves or they might need a little bit of help from, you know, dad or grandma or something, but um, just kind of a nice all-in-one breakfast in bed for that will kind of really be a nice special treat for mom. The cover is always something that you think very carefully about what to put on the cover and you have a delicious mm-hmm. looking cake on the on the cover this month and people might be surprised to learn that it's gluten-free. Yeah exactly yeah so it's um we have kind of a nice feature just with uh all kind of gluten-free baking and like you said, so the the cover recipe, it's like an almond and clementine cake. And uh, it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, I have to say this feature that we did this month with the gluten-free baking, there's that. And there's a nice banana bread and uh, kind of some millionaire flapjacks. And the recipes, I think what's important is they all really lend themselves very well to gluten-free baking. So because the cover recipe is made, um, you know, with ground almonds, um, it's it works so well with the clementine flavor anyway, but because that we're using that instead of like a wheat-based flour, um, it just, it works really well in this cake and kind of all the recipes in the feature, you know, if it's, it's a great one that if you're trying to get into baking a bit more with gluten-free ingredients or, you know, it's something that you've been following for a while, these are, there's five just really amazing recipes that we were all, you know, totally blown away by. So, would definitely recommend even just just for that little feature there it's a good one to have and of course it proves that gluten-free does not mean that it's taste-free exactly that's the thing I mean I actually the millionaire flapjacks they were you know I, I do have a bit of a sweet tooth now so they were they had to they were my favorite recipe in the entire magazine and like I said I mean the base for that you know when you're making uh, traditional, uh, you know, like millionaire shortbread, you know, the shortbread you'd be using the the regular plain flour, but the base of this are actually flapjacks. And just by using, um, you know, pure gluten-free oats, you can make flapjacks gluten-free so easily. So just by kind of putting those flapjacks and then with the caramel and the chocolate on top, you have this really decadent, amazing dessert. And it's pretty much that it just so happens to be gluten-free. So, but exactly like you said, Sharon, that you're not sacrificing anything in terms of flavor or texture or anything like that when you're making these. So that's why we put a lot of thought into these recipes and um, we're really happy with how they turned out. Well, they they look absolutely delicious, those flapjacks. They really do look wonderful. <laughs> They're definitely ones I think I'll be making again soon. <laughs> Caroline, great to talk to you as always. That's the Easy Food March issue out in all good news agents, supermarkets, etc. now. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.
Welcome back to the best possible taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the programme this evening, I've been talking food photography with Siobhan Murphy, who is a lecturer at Trilly IT. And just before the break, Caroline Gray, editor of Easy Food magazine, was telling us about the latest issue via Skype. So apologies if the sound quality wasn't great in places. Thanks to Caroline for giving myself and Rosemary Bennett and Ron Forrestal, who are regular contributors to the programme here, the opportunity to be the Easy Food Taste team for the latest issue. It was great fun and let me know how you get on if you try out my recipe. If you're just tuning in and you want to hear the programme from the start, you'll find it on the podcast later in the week whenever it goes up there. And you'll find the podcast on SharonNoonan.com or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Now we are at the final interview of this evening and it's with TJ O'Connor, another lecturer at Tralee IT. And I met TJ recently to find out about the programme for this year's Food for Thought event, which is on at the college on Wednesday the 26th of April. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. TJ, this is the fourth year, is it, of Food for Thought here at IT Tralee? Yeah, this is the fourth year that we're, we're, we're holding the event. Um, we had a break in it last year and um, have decided that we're going to go biannually now, so it's going to be every second year. So we're really excited about this year's um, lineup. Let's go back in time to mm-hmm. why you started it those, those few years ago. Um, I suppose why we started it originally was we wanted to create something that brought everything that was good about um, you know, food and, uh, and drink within the region and not just about the actual produce but about the expertise and the people around it um, and trying to bring it under all one umbrella in one day and um, I suppose that's that's where it came from and to create networking opportunities for people within the industry because it's so busy you know sometimes the producer doesn't get to meet the end user like the chef or whatever so it was trying to create that and to build up relationships between them that would continue on far past the day. So. Although it's based at the at the college here, it mm-hmm. isn't just for the students, it's for the wider public and oh, people absolutely. in industry. Yeah, so it's for what we aim at, it. it's going to be for our own students, obviously we'll be heavily involved in it, but we also want um, food enthusiasts, the general public, um, industry chefs, um, just anybody who really has a keen interest in food and the wider world of food to, to, get, to get here on the day, yeah, absolutely. So it all starts off in the morning and there's a number of different activities taking place, including cookery demonstrations. Yeah, so we we'll, uh, the cookery demonstrations will start at about 10 o'clock and uh, they'll take place in our demonstration theatre, um, which seats about 110 people. So, you know, there's no booking involved in that and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll draw a wide audience. So we have... Um, you know, n- not everything is bedded down for the day, but at the moment we do know that we've got um, Eddie Atwell, who was um, on the Great British Menu last year and cooked for the, the Queen's 90th birthday. He's originally from our man working in County Cavan, and he's a, a very keen forager. And his plan is, it's on a Wednesday, so his plan is to come to Kerry on the Tuesday. And he, we don't know what he's going to be cooking because he's basically, the plan is, is that he's going to cook what he forages the day before. So we'll really know what Kerry has to offer on the day, I guess. And um, there's also um, a fantastic initiative in, in Kerry. Well, you know, it's based in Kerry, um, which is called The Apprentice Chef. And you're, you're very heavily involved in that yourself as well, Sharon. So anybody that could know about it would be yourself. Um, so we want to highlight that on the day. So um, one of the, the mentors from The Apprentice Chef will hopefully be here with um, one of the, the people or one of the students that participated over the last number of years um, to tickle our taste buds as well and give us a, a, an overview of what the program is all about. And then, you know, there is others to be confirmed as well on the day. I always go to great lengths to highlight that the Apprentice Chef program is there for a number of reasons, but one of them specifically is to address the chef crisis and the shortage of chefs that we have here in Ireland. And in the afternoon for Food and Thought, you actually have Ruth Hegarty coming in Mm -hmm. from Chef Network and Egg and Chick Projects Mm -hmm. to do an in-conversation piece on that very subject. Absolutely, because here, you know, I, I mean, at the moment, as you quite rightly highlighted, every place you look, it's chef shortages. 
and uh, of late if if i had a euro for every phone call that i get you know looking for a chef so and the apprentice chef really does highlight that uh, and encourages young people to look at it as a career choice but so yeah so we decided you know um loads of people are talking you know behind the scenes so we, you know it is a day that hopefully there will be lots of industry chefs here and we want to have an open discussion so we're we're having what's called in conversation with chefs so we'll have a chef's panel um it'll be made up of different people that all have not been confirmed yet but um uh and basically they'll be discussing the whole thing of why there is a chef shortage and maybe um, some ways in which we can go to addressing that. That'll, you know. be, that'll be very interesting. Should be and I yeah. hope I hope I really do put it out there that the more chefs that we've got here in the you know on the day and the more input that we get from them maybe we can come up with uh, get a little bit closer to solutions so I'd I would really ask people from you know chefs from wherever to, to be here to give their input to that. You're also doing a few workshops. There's a number of different workshops taking place. Just tell us a bit about those and yeah. the different types of workshops that you're hosting. Yeah, so the workshops are um, going to be a, a mixture. There are some that will be classroom based. Um, and then there's also we've got um, practical, you know, practice kitchens here that can take up to 16 to 18 people. So um, they, we have a few workshops and one of them um, is going to be uh, modernist, modernist cuisine techniques. It's even a mouthful itself um, and that's going to be by our own lecturer Dan Brown um, who's very passionate about contemporary uh, contemporary cuisine and all that goes with it so um, that's going to be one of them um, we also have Orla Gown who is part of the whole real bread um, you know drive in the Ireland campaign the, yeah, the there, campaign yeah. that's there yeah. and she has Bakus Bakery which is in Clahan and Brandon and she's going to do a sourdough um, workshop for us then we have um, another very enthusiastic guy, um, John Fitzgerald, and he's from Atlantic Seaweed. Um, and he's going to couple up with uh, James Coffey, who is the, the head chef at the Park Hotel in Khmer. And they're going to do a workshop entitled um, Cooking from the Atlantic Shoreline. Um, so it's, I'm sure that's going to be very interesting. Then we also have um, one of our students, um, Owen Murta, who is uh, going to do a workshop. He's now working with um, Malson Coors Ireland and he's going to do a workshop on uh, beer and food matching and also cooking with beer. Um, so should you know it would be of interest to the general public but maybe vintners and various other things um, that'll make a nice change from the wine matching and cooking with wine absolutely absolutely you know and I mean it, and it is becoming you know your gastro pubs it's 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 so much more now than wine and and, and it gives that opportunity to um, you know uh, beer producers in Ireland and uh, microbreweries and you know all of that yeah. yeah there's been such an explosion in oh, craft brewers in uh, the yeah, country of absolutely, late absolutely yeah so we're looking forward to that and um, we also have a lady called uh, Greta McCarthy O'Brien and she's from Onus Call and she's just recently um, published a book it hasn't actually been launched yet so it's being launched in the Botanical Gardens um, sometime in March and then uh, she's going to come and give a workshop it's a fantastic publication um, I've seen it already but it, it's it, and it's all about from you know right from the start growing the herbs and um, their medicinal purposes and how to use them in cooking but the beauty of it it's beautifully illustrated and it's so practical it really is a practical guide and it just goes that you don't have to have a massive garden that it can be your window box and how it can transform the dishes that you're creating in your kitchen to be something so different when you're using fresh herbs and this is a great time of year to be starting to plant Absolutely. those Absolutely. to have them for the summer yeah. and as you say so easy to do just in a little window box yeah. or, or a pot that we have this idea you know that we need a garden but you know you can kind of make yourself that little bit different to the restaurant next door by actually having a fish box Absolutely. full of fresh herbs and then we also have another um, uh, um, chef um, Caroline Danaher who's a graduate from here and she's currently working with Cochrane's Food Equipment and Linux and she's going to do a workshop entitled um, Cooking with Modern Technology because you know we might we might all want to uh, think that we can still cook everything in a camp stove and you know whatever that we we can't move with the with the 
press one button and it cooks everything for us but we also have to acknowledge that things are moving on and we have to move with it so she's doing that workshop for us and i suppose the great thing is is the kind of connection that we have with with all the people you know and that's that's what we want to that we're very we want to show as well that we're um accessible and we and and all the people that i've talked about there to be honest with you what it's it's their their, their passion really that absolutely you know that drives them and um, you know hopefully that energy will transmit to everybody on the day so there's a great mix there of workshops demos and talks and yeah. one element that's very important about a food event is what is there for the visitors to eat mm -hmm. so come Absolutely. lunchtime sometimes the organizers mm -hmm. fail to recognize that you must have the appropriate food there at lunchtime at a food event the expectations are high Absolutely. and you have that yeah you've that covered now because yeah. you're doing a lovely market yeah so we're doing a market and in fairness i should i, I should have probably mentioned at the beginning that the, this event this year wouldn't be possible without the support of taste carry so Taste Kerry are actually helping us to fund the event in relation to marketing and you know getting the message out there and and uh, putting it out there to their to their members. Um, so we're going to have a, a fantastic food market, um, which people. So hopefully, what we'll do is we'll finish workshops about one o'clock, um, and we'll have the chefs discussion or the in conversation with chefs at two o'clock. So the idea is, is that everybody that's here will go and enjoy their lunch um, between one and two. And we have some people confirmed already, but we hope to have a kind of a, quite a broad variety. And in the past we have done. And it, the idea is, is that, you know, that there's a good choice there. And again, it gives exposure to local food producers. And it's not just from Kerry, it's people, you know, there is people coming from Limerick and various other places as well, because it's it's more for the region as opposed to just being specifically a Kerry thing. Um, and then I suppose just to mention one thing, just in case I forget, is another very important element on the day, and, and I know that you're very heavily involved in this also, is the Food Product Development Showcase. So we have students um, that are on a three-year degree program and part of their third year is they do food product design and they do food product development. And basically it's from the concept right through to the actual product and the showcase is going to be um, showing those products on the day. And we're trying to tie in as well this year. There's another initiative here. It's called um, the New Frontiers Programme. And two of the people who are on that program this year, it's 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 a kind of a business, it's business startups, and they're supported by the institute. And two people that are on that this year um, are uh, one is a goat's cheese producer, and the other person is doing a high protein wrap. So hopefully we'll engage with them as well on the day. So are those products, are they on the market now? Are they nearly ready to go uh, onto the market? Cordial Goats Cheese is on the market and the Protein Wrap. There has been market research carried out in it, but it's not uh, It's not widely available. And the students, um, uh, um, the students' products are just, I suppose, at that initial, they, they, they will have brought them to fruition, but um, that'll be the first time that they'll be kind of um, opened to the masses. In the public in domain. In the public domain, yeah. So, and in fairness, people have gone on in the past um, from, from that particular program and their products have ended up on shelves. And we've had some really interesting concepts in the past. So, you know, and hopefully, you know, the, the general public and everybody that, that comes will enjoy that. Yeah, it's always very mm. interesting to see what sort of things the students come up with. Absolutely, absolutely. And you, you know, the thing about it is it's making it all real, you know, that, that, that and it is, it is that engagement, you know, with industry chefs. And sometimes it's the first time that an industry chef might have come into the IT trolley. So they wouldn't even realize that we've got a demonstration theater for 110 people or five kitchens, you know. So that was one of the initial things. But now... You know, it really is about relationship building. I remember one of the things uh, we did in the past is we had um, a workshop for vintners. And one of the good things that came out of that is when they went from the workshop and they went out into the market, they actually formed a relationship like because one of the, the, produ or the food producers on the day was um, Curra Chase Pork. And another one was Walkabout. And they actually made links 
with vintners so that the vintner was you know thinking about well i want to put on a summer party so let's contact curry chase pork and bring them down to do pig on a spit or the barbecue or bring walkabout or there was another guy john nugent and he was doing pies and somebody didn't have a food offering but they wanted a food offering and they thought pie in a pint and then that relationship grew from there so it's those type of things that maybe you don't necessarily need to see them to fruition on the day but if you've planted a seed like and let it you know let it grow afterwards that's that's one of the key things that we want to get out of it i suppose what's your personal highlight now what are you looking forward to most on the day um i suppose what am i looking you know i enjoy it well the one thing i find on the day is that i get to see very little because you're kind of running from post to pillar so you don't get to enjoy um but you know the real thing that i get to enjoy, that i'd like to see is loads of people coming and enjoying it you know smiles on the faces because it's kind of that's what i see this whole food and hospitality industry and all of that being about so that's the key thing for me but i suppose one thing that i i'm assume, i'm hoping that uh, that's why we're leaving it until the end of the day um is uh, in discussion with chefs and talking about the chef shortage and hopefully like combined if we're all here talking together maybe we'll come with some um some with some good ideas about um, bridging that gap like we have fantastic things like as you well know the apprentice chef like it's absolutely amazing but you know hopefully more people industry chefs will know about that on the day and endorse it and and talk about it and share it and and hopefully then more good ideas will come out of the day as well that maybe you know somebody will take and run with and because i mean you know it's something that is seriously needs to be addressed well, a fantastic event by all accounts and if people want to find out more about it where is the best place for um, you to go to get well, all the information yeah at the minute uh, we're we're formulating a, a schedule so um that'll be available on www.itthrilly.ie um, or you can follow it on facebook at itt culinary arts um and um you know again you know all i can finish off by saying if we're finishing is is that you know thank you so much because you continuously the first time that we did this you were the first person who was on the phone you did a program on it you put it out there for us and you spread the word and and we know that you're going to be here on the day and hopefully there might be some other things the thing is that we've got a schedule but it's a schedule that can develop more and you know i'm sure even from us talking here and talking after after this broadcast we'll probably come up with some other ideas and we won't give the whole thing so we'll have that element of a surprise maybe on the day as well absolutely and it's wednesday the 26th of april wednesday the 26th of april and uh probably everything will start kicking off at about 10 o'clock some things will have to be booked um, but that will be shown on the schedule, like the kitchen workshops, they'd have to be booked in advance. But the, 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 the Apprentice Chef demo and with Eddie Atwell, that's, you know, that's kind of come first come, first serve. So there'll be, but that'll all be outlined, um, you know, within the schedule as well and how you need to book and who you ring and all of that. Great. Well, I look forward to coming back in April for it. And in the meantime, the best of luck with begging the final arrangements. Yeah. And thanks a million, Sharon, for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Anytime. Thanks All for right. talking to thanks me. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Great to talk to TJ. And it's my pleasure to support that Food for Thought event. It really is worth taking the trip down to Tralee. So be sure to put the 26th of April date in your diary. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. So thanks to TJ O'Connor, Siobhan Murphy and Caroline Gray for being guests and taking time to talk to me. And of course, to you for tuning in. I'll be back at the same time next week, all being well. So until then, enjoy the rest of your week and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!